Welcome to The Impossible Network, the podcast about everyday people living extraordinary lives, how their upbringing affected them, how creativity fueled them, and how serendipity guided them. I've always been about the next, you know, wave of, uh, of talent in front of the camera, behind the camera. I think you have to give, I always say I'll give my two cents for free to anybody, and I feel like you have to carry that on. One day a PA, the next day an EP. We know how this business works, but I also think it's a human thing. It's you, you should be, you should attempt to be a good person. You know, I, I recognize that in our business, which is very high on ego and many times low on ethics, you know, it's hard to find the good ones and then the good people. And maybe that's true in life. It's outside of entertainment. It's just hard to find the diamonds. On this week's episode, we meet Colby Gaines, Emmy-nominated producer and founder of TV production company Backroads Entertainment. His reality-based programming successes include American Restoration, Pawn Stars, and the recent 50 Central with 50 Cent. In this episode, we discuss how, from a Texan university, Colby took an indirect route via pre-med, architecture, and journalism to New York City, where he forged the path in reality TV and scripted entertainment. How a serendipitous meeting at an acting class started his journey. How his early internships in news and unscripted documentary filmmaking prepared him for reality TV production. We also discuss the importance of luck and the thought process when creating a hit show, the impact of curiosity and asking questions in the creative process, his predictions for the next 10 years, and finally his advice to a younger generation on what's possible in entertainment. Enjoy the show. Check one, check, 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 check. Check, check, check. Well, welcome to the Impossible Network podcast. Colin. Excited to be here. Yeah, great. Thank you for making the time Just before you head off to Texas. That's it. Okay, well... Going to the back roads. Exactly. The real back, back roads. roads. So maybe we could just start with a little bit of background uh, about where you grew up. Sure. Sure. Um, well, I'm from Texas, so I am returning home uh, to some degree. I, uh, I grew up outside of Houston, about 40 miles outside of Houston, in uh, a little small town called Angleton. Uh, where most of the population works for Dow Chemical Company along the coast of Texas. And uh, as I was growing up, I, I uh, had a big family, always had a big family, and always was, you know, in, interested in entertainment. And, uh, and I can say this from, like, a creative background. I was in plays. I was in improv. When I was uh, in, in college, my first, uh, one of my first classes was an acting class. Now, I never for, for once thought I was going to be like, uh, you know, in front of the camera in that way. And I was never prepared to suffer for, for a dream of that kind. Um, Were but, your parents uh, pushing you into this, in this direction? No, no, not at all. But, you know, I, I was always the kind of, uh, I would say, quirkier, more, uh, uh, you know, extroverted family member. I'll put it that way. I was always the one trying to, you know, cause a scene. And even in high school, I was making videos, you know, with uh, we had the high eight and then we the VHSC or whatever it was, the technology at the time. I mean, you know, one friend had uh, video toast. Was it called video yeah. toaster? The editing equipment. Oh, yeah. So we had the Early fun little, fun little graphics that we put together on our videos. Most of which you should not watch. Yeah. Uh, I, I do have them somewhere, somewhere. Somewhere on Vimeo or on YouTube. Oh, they're, they're buried on yeah. a drive somewhere. <laughs> and, I'll bet uh, we can find them. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> you may have to pay extra for that. Okay. Well, what about your love of storytelling? When did that start? I mean, obviously you were making videos and sort of getting involved with um, sort of drama and yeah. um, acting. But the actual sort of art of storytelling... 
I, I think pretty early on when I was uh, when I was in acting in high school and drama club and always you know and mixing with creative people and making these videos I, I knew this is what I wanted to do I didn't quite know how to how to codify it or how to put that all together and for that to be the road that I was going to go on but I remember early on being interested in in particular comedy comedy storytelling um my first job was at a CBS affiliate in college. I was a junior at Texas A&M, and I went in just thinking I could get an internship so that I could be in TV, you know, so I could put one foot in this place that I'd like to go. How did you get that? Did you just walk in one day and uh, well, I, contact I, them? Well, I went in for an internship interview, and, uh, and they said, can you shoot? And uh, I've, like, I guess like somebody like who feels like they have rhythm and knows they can dance. I was like, yeah, I can do it. And so they, they made me go out and we shot a whole news piece and they're like, you can shoot. You're, you're hired. <laughs> so I went from, you know, thinking I'd be an intern to getting a job. Now I was making five fifteen an hour. So it wasn't exactly like, you know, but I was living the dream. I was a junior in college and I knew at that point, like, all right, I'm, I'm taking a big step towards what I want to do. And they let me go out and shoot my own pieces. They ended up putting me on air. It became like a whole, I ended up working like 70 hours a week, my junior and senior year of college. And that was when my, that was my first professional storytelling job. Brilliant. So you just cut your teeth um, guiding yourself. There was no sort of mentorship or anyone sort of giving you direction or there, there, you know, you, you, you meet people throughout your life that kind of, you know, provide you with little pieces of insight. And, you, you know, I, I would say now I'm 43. So a lot of the, a lot of this, the puzzle is more clear to me. But at the time, I don't think it was very clear. And, and I think some of it is um, happy accidents. Some of it's total happenstance. Um, but I mean, there's certainly been a few people along the way that have helped me. Okay, well, we'll, we'll come to that. Yeah. Um, so you ended up doing journalism at um, A&M in Texas. Why did you go down the journalism route rather than getting into sort of... Uh, Television, video, film or something video, like yeah. that? Uh-huh. The truth is that uh, both of my parents went to Texas A&M. I was uh, born in Bryan, State, uh, Bryan, Texas, which is the adjacent town to where Texas A&M is. And so I grew up loving this school and my whole family, they're all Texas A&M graduates. So it was almost predetermined that this was going to be the place you're going <laughs> to go to school. So uh, I would say when I was uh, 17, 18 years old, there, were, there was no conversation or real thought process about, well, maybe I should go to a particular school because that would benefit my career. It was more of just like, this is where you're going to go eventually. And so when I chose Texas A&M, um, I, I chose, I actually was an architecture major originally. And I was in, 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 I mean, this is kind of a winding story to tell you how I got to what, where I was. But, uh, but I went to A&M just thinking, well, this is where I'm supposed to go. Hmm. And A&M is not a big television school. Television, radio, new media. I mean, I'm sure they've come a long way since then. This is now mm-hmm. 21 years ago when I graduated. Um, but at the time, it was just like, this is where you're going to go. And uh, yeah, that's where I went. What about the comedy? You know, during, when you were at sort of doing your journalism sort of major... Um, were you doing any sort of stand-up? Were you just uh, filming pieces? Were you still continuing with your production work for the affiliate, uh, for that network? Um, I was, well, the comedy piece, I, I continued to make videos with friends. And so we were, 
we were way before YouTube and, and you know, like we, but we have like sketch sketches that we shot together. And this would be with high school friends, some of the friends that I made in college. So I continued to do that at, at this time. This was, I was in college from 93 to 97. So there wasn't any sort of real the distribution channel. For no, that, no, there's, yeah, like, yeah, the plat- there was no platform, you know, there was no like, I mean, now all the, uh, the platforms are so right in front of you, the ways for you to get what you're like, okay, you could become a YouTube star. That the day, it was just like we were just making stuff. We were entertaining each other because that was all we had. How were you sharing it? Uh, parties. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, the natural way. There wasn't any like uh, press tour, satellite media tour set up. We just kind of, we were entertaining each other and we knew that we had a um, sort of a gut instinct as to what was funny. And, you know, that's carried through to today. I think I can, I'm a pretty good um, witness to talent at an early stage. Who, who your inspirations? Not saying that I was overly talented, but I'm saying that I, you know, we had a gut for what might work. And who were your inspirations back then? Oh man, oh this is a this is a deep dig. Um, still uh, comedians, great movies. I mean, at the time, I think Dumb and Dumber had just come out. Something maybe it was in the '90s at yeah. some point. So Dumb and Dumber for us, you know, we we had a lot of. Uh, a lot of the phrases, I want to go to someplace warm, like Aspen, you know, those things kind of stuck out and, you know, uh, what's the soup, what's the soup du jour? That's the soup of the day. Mm, that sounds good. I'll have that. You know, these are the things that kind of stuck with us and we just used off, we bounced off of each other. And, uh, and again, I don't think at that time there was, there was a, uh, concerted strategy, but I always knew that I wanted to be in entertainment. It was just about how do I kind of get there? And when you're a college kid, um, or at least at that time, being a college kid, it, it wasn't super clear about how I was going to get there. But you know, I got there. So what was the sort of the step from sort of graduating from university and then ending up in New York? So you worked with, I believe, Susie Orman on the Stu- Susie Orman show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've worked with a lot of uh, a lot of different. Um, I've worked on a lot of shows. I worked on The Bachelor. I worked on Growing Up Gotti. I worked with Susie. Um, I'll take you back a couple of steps to get you to where I am. So I was at Texas A&M, and, um, and I was a architecture major. Now, this is a long way from where I started, which was pre-med. So I, at each step, I just took a further step, a step away from where my parents were really going to be happy. And uh, I say that jokingly. But, you know, when you're pre-med, they're like, that's my boy. That's architecture. That's fine. You know what? I think I want to do television, so I'm going to do journalism. Yeah, okay. it's acceptable. Yeah. All right, I guess. You know, like it was like that kind of a conversation. Uh, but yeah, I, I ended up meeting um, uh, this guy Brett Montgomery, who ended up being my business partner in my first company in New York. You met and, him uh, in Texas. Met him at Texas A&M. Yeah. Well, we we met in an acting class, and uh, and you talk about just you know happy accidents. We both just hit it off. And we both were connecting on a level of like, oh, we get it. We like to make stuff. We want to make stuff. And, um, and so we were, he was a business major. I was a journalism major. We both had the epiphany at the same time. Like, what are we doing? Let's just switch to something that'll be the closest thing to what we want to be. So journalism was that mm-hmm. at Texas A&M. Instead, they at the time, they didn't have radio, television, film. Um, so we ended up moving to New York, um, opened up left field pictures in 2002 and so what did he between the times of leaving texas and coming to new york he must have ended up going down the same track working for production companies we both kind of did we both ended up working i think 
his first job was working for Fox. My first job was working for Fox News. Um, and we both kind of at the same time fell into this new genre of reality TV that was being born. Uh, we opened up Left Field Pictures in 2002. And at that time, we had a small little office uh, on the east, Lower East Side, Second Street between Avenue B and C. Mm-hmm. And we were in the basement of a- Still a, a dangerous place back then. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah. We had a, we had a, we had this. Uh, it was a basement office in a residential building. So you had to go through the building, around through the courtyard, and down to the bottom. And then if you walk through the back of our office, you'd walk into this guy's basement apartment. The guy, the the art collector in the front. And so he would just kind of walk through that door every now and then, shirtless, and say, and he was French, and he would say, "Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you doing?" <laughs> You know, and we would be like sometimes with the client like editing and just kind of go like, never mind him, never mind. It was like a sitcom, really. Um, so anyway, we opened up this it's office. Your and of Seinfeld. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so yeah, Cosmo, uh, Cosmo Kramer there walking through, and um, we kind of just you know it was just our first step in saying, let's make our own stuff. How are we going to do that? Just going back to, the, I mean, the reality yeah. thing kicked off. I mean, I, I mean, I was in the UK in around 99, 2000. But it was around that period when the sort of the first reality, I think it was a Survivor, was the first show that really appeared in the mainstream. Yeah. 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 yeah, I actually, I ended up, uh, I had a friend that was an actor and he wanted me to shoot his audition videotape for this show that he's going to audition for. And, uh, and I said, so what's the show? And he said, it's going to be called, I think, Survivor or something. So we went out and shot this very campy, casting video of him surviving in Central Park. And I mean, it was, it was just total comedy. Obviously, he didn't make the cut, but we didn't know what the show was. We didn't know the show was going to become the enormous hit it became. Wow. So, the, so what, what brought you into, and sort of, I mean, you were going down the road of creating your own stuff with Brett. Yeah. yeah. What was the inspiration to sort of focus on reality? Had you seen a couple of um, these first early reality series that made you think we can do better? I think that the the thought process was we were we came out of news we came out of you know sort of unscripted documentary space we we understood factual storytelling I knew how to interview somebody and very well I knew how to put that story together um, there was really there wasn't much thought about let's go let's let's pitch scripted projects it was really this is a natural bridge for us to cross so we crossed it like that. Um, my first New York girlfriend uh, got a job on The Bachelor, and she ended up introducing me to a lot of people in reality TV, and one thing led to another. I got hired on a few shows, and that's kind of how I got birthed into that whole world. Um, but, you know, just like anything, you're kind of, you know, at that, that stage of your career, you're kind of working through um, learning and just, you know, working your way up the chart. And the more you know, the better off you are in terms of wherever you are, you know, unscripted or scripted. And so did a lot of different jobs under the unscripted banner for shows like Growing Up Gotti, The Bachelor, um, really, really um, hardly watched shows like Date Patrol on T- TLC. I did a bla- we had a blast on Beach Ambush on the Outdoor Living Network. Uh, but there were a lot of things that we learned in that process. And there were a lot of things that you just don't know before you actually are running your own projects. And there and you know when you start to actually when you when you start to earn the trust to create and have somebody pay you to produce a show that's your idea or even a show that's their idea there's a lot of things you just don't know. 
and you have to really learn some of that the hard way. Uh, you know, but you also have to earn it. You have to earn your spot and climb that the ladder. Because you mentioned earlier, I mean, sort of talk, obviously talking before the sort of the start of the podcast about um, happy chances and serendipity. I mean, obviously that's played a big part in your journey. And sort of, what about the actual sort of development of some of these formats like Pond Stars or American mm-hmm. Restoration? Were these things sort of a, a logical, rational, creative process, or did they just? come from more meandering through the back roads as you say I, I mean I would I would love to say some of it I'll say this you know it's like and I think most people that I've met that have success in entertainment they don't necessarily know or, or I'm not going to believe even if they say they do that oh yeah this is going to be an enormous hit you know I would say most producers think oh this is going to be really good you know and if it becomes a hit it's kind of uh, it's it's a uh, it's you're, you're a little bit lucky, you know? So you put a lot of these pieces in place and you, ha- you have to have that little bit of a luck. Uh, with Pawn Stars in particular, um, you know, I, I was in my, I was having my bachelor party in Las Vegas and I hired a kid to drive us around, about 15 guys, and a lot of us are TV guys. And uh, this was at the, the beginning of the recession in 2008. And we kept passing all these pawn shops. And, and I was saying, you know, oh, it'd be interesting to see all the interesting characters that would come into those places and all the things they'd be trying to hawk during this time because people are going to be selling a lot of stuff. And, uh, and it was that kind of a thought process that led us to coming back to the office. Let's cast. Let's cast around the country, see who out there would be a great show. But one of the places we had passed in Las Vegas was the Gold Silver Pawn Shop. Uh-huh. And, you know, so at the, at the time, I would love to say that we zeroed in and said, that's the one. This is going to be an enormous hit. But it really happened like that. So really just curiosity on your part. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And do you think that's a sort of a core ingredient for, for your, your success and sort of propelled you from being just a journalism major into reality sort of TV? Yeah, in some ways, I think winner. my my degree in journalism is a little is is perfect for who I am. I'm always curious. I'm always asking people questions. Um, I'm always trying to dig a little bit to find out what is it that inspires other people to do what they do. And you know, and that's why when I was working in news, it was actually it was very interesting to me. You know, to kind of learn about people and and uh, psychology and the, and and culture. And uh, I think you need a little bit of that to be able to find something that ultimately, hopefully, can become a hit. It's interesting that um, I think Horace Walpole, the um, English, I think it was a writer, talked, uh, created the term serendipity back in 1754, and went on to say that it's not just a sort of happen chance; it's something a talent that can be developed. And I think when you talk about your sort of curiosity and your sort of creativity, that that rigor that maybe journalism gives you of asking questions, going deeper, maybe that is part of that process, the process that Walpole sort of was almost sort of hinting at, mm. that is a talent that can be developed. So it's maybe just something that now may be second nature to you, but it's, uh, it's interesting just to well, put I'll in say this, of- in, in, in our business in particular, but especially now in society, how we're all sort of in this social media atmosphere where everything is instantaneous, it's edible and forgettable. So because it's become so transactional, people don't want to invest in actually just getting to the next level of conversation. If it's not interesting, swipe right or left. I don't even know which one it is. I've been married so long. You know, but you know, I mean, that's where we're at. And so you have to, you have to invest 
in uh, in people. And you know, to get to the idea, to get to the core of the idea, you have to invest and keep digging a little bit further. What about getting lost? Um, going back to the sort of the back roads. I mean, it's something we, we've talked about before. That sort of um, going down the route that the the, the, the route less traveled. Um, uncovering stories that maybe others have passed by. I mean, that sort of process of just getting lost on the journey, uh, getting lost in your mind, how's that, uh, a, a, how have you sort of developed that sort of uh, capability in your life? How do you switch off from the, the temptation to sort of go down the social media route and just find stories online rather than in real life? Well, I, I think that uh, you have to, you, for, for me, I'm, I do a lot of traveling. And so uh, I plug in, put the iTunes on and just kind of like put the soundtrack to your life, you know, and let that kind of, um, I've been doing this since I was in high school and, and college, even in college when I was an architecture major, I remember you just turn the music up and it, you know, there's something about the rhythm for me. I mean, a lot, I've met a lot of yeah. people through the years who don't turn music on. They're like, oh, it's too distracting or something. But uh, as long as there's like a little bed of music, there's something about it that's inspiring. And I don't mean to sound corny, but that's kind of like how I get lost. Put the headphones on. Uh, when I'm traveling, I mean, sometimes I take the flight from New York to LA and it's six hours and, you know, I could be working the whole time if I've got the headphones on and the right playlist. And that's when, (laughs) and that's when the ideas come to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we're kind of, I say as creators, we're often swimming in the same circles. I mean, you know, if something's trending, there's a reason it's trending. It's because so many people are thinking of it or interested in it. Um, I think the era that we're in, especially on my side of the ledger on in the unscripted field is you have to have a list talent you have to have a unique format and you have to have a reason to do it right now and if you don't have one of those three things you can't even i mean you can pitch it and um you know the buyer the network is going to kind of stare at you and go like that's cool very cool and you know, you know it's kind of the no pass you know, uh, so I think right now you have to you have to be um, you have to be a little bit different in what you're approaching, but it has to be something that the you know society's interested in. And most of the lanes that I'm playing in, they're interested just from the start: food, travel, comedy. What comes first, though? Is it the talent or is it the idea? Oh, definitely the idea. Definitely the idea. Sometimes it's the, sometimes it's a talent. I mean, we're working with Wu Tang Clan right now. They're going to do a. Uh, they wanted us to do a tribute tribute special. Uh, for their their first album, and um, but they came to me because of the comedy background, and so uh, if they had gone to somebody else, it might just be like, oh, let's just do some live performances and and you know have it be that. But instead, with me, they know it's going to be a lot of sketch comedy, even some prank. It's going to feel like a comedy show versus purely live performance. A couple of things you talked about, going back to the sort of the accidents. I mean, there obviously there have been a, a number of these happy accidents along the way. What do you think is most uh, notable in your success? Hmm. That's a hard one. Um, well, I will I'd definitely say... Or the un- most unexpected. Uh, I, mean, I, w- I have to say meeting my, my, first, um, off, my first business partner at Left Field meeting him in an acting class was definitely a happy accident because um, we definitely took a lot of the, the trip together uh, you know, to New York and, and through the success of Left Field. Um, I think 
you know, how I actually was able to win the job of doing the 50 Cent show. Um, That was a show that, uh, that was a project that 50 Cent had set up already at A&E, and they were looking for the right producer. And it was one of those moments of, you know, you go and you have a meeting with the talent, and we hit it off perfectly. I was totally in line with what 50 wanted to do. Um, and but then I had to rhythm go rhythm again. Yeah, we we both had the same rhythm. That sounds strange. Uh, but yeah, we uh, so so. But then I had to go into A and E and explain why me with my uh, with my background was the perfect person to produce a sketch comedy show. And you know they're looking at me and they're comparing me to the other two people who had walked in the room who actually done shows like Dave Chappelle show, you know, and things like that. So uh, you know you you have to. It was it was a happy accident to just be in the room, but I knew I could do it once I was in there. Just given everything that I've laid out for you throughout my from high school all the way up, I'd been doing it. I just hadn't done it in a way that had a big platform. Um, so I mean, there are a lot. There are a lot. I mean, my my wife moved to New York from Chicago for another guy. I mean, that's not a small move. And for me to happen to meet her one day at CNBC when I was working on the Susie Orman show and she was working on Jim Cramer's Mad Money, that had, that's definitely the happiest you know, accident, if you will. And, uh, but she came there for another guy. Just thinking of things yeah. like that, you know, what are the chances? Yeah. And then, of course, she got you into reality, into um, the, what was it, The Bachelor? Oh no no that was my that was my first girlfriend. Oh right. This okay. is this oh, is the woman who became my here. wife. Right, okay. This one became my wife. Um, Big difference. Okay, I want to just um, ask you about choices, the hard choices. So there's a, um, a phrase I really like: called hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. What have been the sort of the hardest choices you've had to make along the way that have ultimately led you to where you are now? Uh, wow. Well. Um, I think that a lot of, I mean, again, sort of the, the theme with me is like, I don't necessarily know how difficult things are when I'm in the middle of them. And that sort of naivete has paid off very well for me. Uh, I think if I really understood how hard what I was about to do is, then I wouldn't do it. Or maybe I'd be less inclined to do it. I think most people are like that. You know, so I think there's a certain amount of just me getting into things and going like, this can't be that hard <laughs> or this won't be that difficult. But so many people are, are put off by these um, what seem to be a daunting sort of challenge, diving into the unknown. There, you mm-hmm. seem to have a, uh, a certain fearlessness about you in terms of your creative pursuits. Where did that come from? I, th- I just think that my, my mentality has always been very driven and very um i'm i'm a i'm I'm always looking forward i'm very much a person who it i don't i don't stop to go like what just happened there what what, what just what's that all about a lot of people are a lot of people you know they they, there's a lot of analysis and and there's a lot of reflection upon what they just passed and for me i'm just like just keep going just keep going just keep going you know i'm taking things with me i mean just like anybody else you're learning you're you're building new relationships and you know um Hopefully each time in your career you're ascending, but I think the, the hard choices for me 
are ones that I can easily rattle off, like the hard choice to move to New York from Texas and to see like, you know, like if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. I just, it's in the song. It's like, you know, but what does that mean? You kind of get here and you kind of find out how hard it is to survive here. And you, there's a struggle here unlike any other. Um, especially in Avenue A. Especially, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, w- those early days, Lower East Side. Uh, but again, you know, it's sort of my, my, the, the choices that I've had to make that are that are hard don't seem as hard to me. Um, and I'm kind of, I've, I've been through so much in my career. Uh, each step that I'm taking, it's nothing to me seems daunting. Even now I'm getting inscripted, you know, I'm just, I'm developing a scripted series now. And to me, it's like, I, of course, there's a huge, there's not, there's not even an easy bridge to traverse between unscripted and scripted. There's so many people in your life that, you know, in, in, in are in the business that stare at you and go, you can't do that. That's not good. You won't do that. No, nobody does that, you know, but I'm doing it. If I listened to everybody who told me it's not going to happen, I wouldn't have tried it, you know? And I think most people that are successful just kind of, they are able to filter through that. It's interesting that, I mean, it, that is an element. It's also your, it's a probably, a, for me, just listening to you, it's a combination of your fearlessness combined with your curiosity. Yeah. And also probably a sort of a work ethic as well and a belief that just getting things done yeah. happens. I mean, you're a maker, you're a creator. So the the product is the result. So yeah. presumably you've learned a lesson along the way when you just get out there and make it from your going, even going back to your college days people laugh or there's traction, you're going to get an immediate reaction. Yeah. So that sort of self-belief is just built up presumably across it through your Yeah, career. even this, this, devel- this uh, development of this series, this scripted series that we're doing, we actually shot a trailer for it. And, um, and the people that are involved are just like, they've said to me so many times, I, you're a man of your word, I can't believe you're doing what everybody else says they'll do something and then they don't do it. And I'm, I mean, I don't know, I don't really work with those people, so I don't know, this is the way that I am. I'm like, I'm not going to... BS you. We're going to cut through the clutter and let's get things to happen or let's cut it loose. And sometimes you have to kind of go, you know, like, I'm sorry, I, we, we developed something and it didn't work or we're going to, you know, we're going to stop developing it right now because it's not working or for one reason or another, it won't, it, it just won't happen or it won't go. Or it'll be a hard sell. And we just have to be honest with, you, with each other. I think I'm at this place in my career where I just want to be honest and the honesty piece people appreciate what about value? To a fault. What, what about value um, and creating sort of value for others? I mean, it's, I mean, you've been in business. I mean, obviously, business is in the. So you have to make money to sort of get by. But one of the things that uh, that struck me when having worked with Backroads is your is the character of the company and the sort of the the, the people you employ and the sort of the um, the mood of the office when you walk in. But also the fact you've got this open door policy um, to comedians and writers in the city. There's a certain sort of um, value that you're you're offering to the to the city to allow people this the opportunity to get access to one of the sort of top producers in reality or in scripted. Where did that come from? Well, I think that. I guess as as a kid, I was sort of nurtured by a variety of people. I don't remember being told um, no or being told, uh, you know, this isn't going to work for you or you're not going to be able to do this. You know, those things don't stand out to me. And maybe I just filtered them out. Um, 
But as I've gotten older and maybe for, for as long as I can remember, I've been trying to carry that on. You know, I've always been about the next, you know, wave of, uh, of talent in front of the camera, behind the camera. I think you have to give, I always say I'll give my two cents for free to anybody. And I feel like you have to carry that on one day a PA, the next day an EP. We know how this business works, but I also think it's a human thing. It's you, you should be, you should attempt to be a good person. You know, I, I recognize that in our business, which is very high on ego and many times low on ethics, you know, it's hard to find the good ones and then the good people. And maybe that's true in life. It's outside of entertainment. It's just hard to find the diamonds. But you know, you have to you have to educate the next the next wave. Um, and you know, and because you're because you're you never know where a great idea is going to come from. You never know who's going to be a great strategic partner and, or you know someone who you want to have on your team. So we're you know my door is always open from from intern to the to the lowest rung and uh, and obviously comedians and writers of all kinds. Um, the development process in our business is very difficult, and that's why almost you know at the at the highest level I'm working on a list stuff because the networks don't pay you to develop, but you have to you have to in your own time keep looking for the next generation of talent of all kinds, no matter what vertical you're in. For us, it's comedy mostly. So um, I mean, I've got a bunch of comics coming in, and we're brainstorming some things today, and that has to be the way it is. You're going to find the next wave of talent. You don't always know who it is. I mean, on Joking Off, I had Jesus and Miro for three three seasons. You know, I mean, I, I knew they were talented. I didn't know how talented, you know, and but at the same time, they were surrounded by 30 other talented people. So you got to keep hunting and you have to continue to inspire. And, and some of that also is reciprocal. I get inspired by them, too. How's technology changed that? Is it easier today to find talent and to develop it than it was maybe 10 years ago? Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I think. I mean, that obviously, the business has been disrupted hugely. Yeah. I know everyone knows about the sort of the restructuring, yeah. and the disruption in the in the industry. But in terms of um, just finding people, uh, I mean, obviously, you've got an endless supply of uh, talent if you can find it on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever, yeah. or any other sort of social media channel. I think that I think technolo technology has made our business uh, more more accessible to um, you know to to the the youngest generation. There's no real cost for entry, but the truth is, we're at a place now where A-list talent moves the needle. And A-list talent, I mean, I, I was reading the trades today and it was another A-lister who has his own production company who's producing something that you would have no clue, would have anything endemic to that A-lister's brand. That's where we're at, A-lister, A-lister, A-lister. Uh, the ability to enter the industry because the technology has become democratized and cheap. Yeah, this is very true, but still you need it. You need someone with considerable promotional muscle to move the needle. And so, um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I think how's that, it affecting yeah. your, your business particularly? I mean, obviously you're sort of going through a sort of an evolution, moving away from scripted and you're moving the business down to Texas. How's, yeah. What's uh, the impact technology is having on back roads at the moment? Well, I think that, I think the, I, I'm kind of going through a couple of different evolutions. One with Backroads, which is to the point about working with A-list talent. My, my slate of ideas, the development slate, used to be probably, you know, 30 or 40% A-list. Now it's 70% A-list. 
That means I'm not producing or I'm not developing 30 ideas, probably developing eight ideas, but they're all placed. You know, I have Shaquille, you know, we're doing this thing with the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, I, I have Marlon Wayans, you know, I'm, I mean, so you, you, I'm, the, sh the development slate has moved more towards A-list. And so that that's the trajectory that's going to keep us in, in the, the successful mix on the unscripted and scripted side. The move to Texas is, um, it's interesting. Austin is the, the most, it's the fastest growing city in the country. And you have a massive influx of people from the East Coast, people from California, moving for a variety of reasons, but there's a creative class there, a budding creative class. And I think there's gonna be a big opportunity there. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and it's, it's massive for obviously, it's great for technology, it's great for film, oh it's great God. for yeah. music, it ticks all the boxes. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's not the cost of San Francisco or New uh, York. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, you, you know, when I'm talking to like friends that are thinking about moving, I'm, I'm, you know, it's easy to say no state income tax, you know, things like, oh, and things are cheaper, you know? Uh, so, but on, on the tech side of things, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, we could go a couple directions with this one, you know, Netflix and Amazon and what well, are they I doing? Gonna, I was going to ask you about that because of the opportunity, has that become an opportunity with likes of Facebook launching their Facebook TV, Instagram have now yeah. got their channel. There's more distribution opportunities and more commissioners out there, more money on the table, presumably. You know, it's, it, there, there, there's more money being spent in content than ever before, and that number is continuing to increase. The problem is there's convergence, too. So the well-fed fish are going to be even better fed. That means the ability for somebody like me who entered this marketplace uh, in New York in 98, um, it's going to be harder for you to break in and ascend. Now, of course, people will, but uh, but I think the the money is it's it's like they're it's like the pie is getting getting bigger, and yet there's still the same six people eating all of it, you know. And um, and I'm just I'm speaking you know metaphorically, but truthfully, and that's what's happening with our industry. Yeah, there's more opportunity, but a lot of that new opportunity is going to the same fish. So what will happen then for these uh, young, sort of fearless, sort of the next generation of Colby Gaineses and uh, Brett, um, your, your partner with Brett? Um, Montgomery. Montgomery, yeah. That, that next generation of young talent that are fearless and have got great ambitions and are using the platforms like Instagram, um, doing self-publishing on YouTube, where, what, what happens when they decide to set up their production companies? Are you saying well, that they're going to find it harder to break into the into the market? I think if they if they come at it like we did, probably, uh, and that means coming at it as a true as a true storyteller, just saying like I'm going to make stuff and I'm going to work my way up the charts and eventually somebody will pay me enough to have my own thing and hopefully it's a hit. Uh, I think the the way the business is changing. The, the, the younger generation now has an interesting new mode of getting to be successful because for a long time, our business, especially the unscripted side, you could make, you know, you could make a considerable, a considerable amount of money. You could have a good business, a healthy business off of volume. And that is not so much anymore because repeats aren't working and there's a whole host of other reasons. Um, but you, you know, now the businesses, you gotta, you, you gotta make a show and then you got to monetize all the other things like a like a, a 
a rock band would. You know, you make the album, it doesn't make that much money, and then you go on tour. You got to merchandise everything else. So I think if you're smart and you're entering the business as a storyteller, you got to think of what's the what's the commerce piece behind this, and that may allow you to be you know as successful as as we've been, even better. You know, but I don't think I think it's going to be very hard to enter the market and just hope that you'll be set up and you'll be producing thirty hours of video, you know, so uh, from one of these bigger distributors, especially when they're hiring A-list talent. You were one of the sort of early, um, sort of, uh, sort of, I think you were a fairly early stage when you were at left field and in, in getting involved in branded entertainment and sort of working with brands to right. leverage their involvement. Yeah. What about the role of brands today? Well, brands are starting to want to set up their own studios, own their own content. So that business is changing a lot. I mean, I, I meet with a lot of um, a lot of agencies, um, and uh, and a lot of them are the bigger agencies are uh, suffering because the brands are going. Wait a minute, we're overpaying you. We can do this ourselves, or we can hire somebody cheaper. Um, so there, th- this is a th- that business is evolving very quickly as well. And is that part of your roadmap? I mean, I, I'm a little more reactive to that if people come to us with that. Um, even the way that Culinary Beats, I did a show that was, uh, it, was it ended up being on, distributed on Yahoo. Uh, but it was basically uh, rock bands sit down with a rock star chef, cook a dish, sing a song. The way that that show kind of came to be, it, was, it almost fell in our lap to some degree. I mean, of course, we knew how to make it. But what I'm saying is we were a little reactive to the marketplace. Same thing with us right now. Uh, we don't, it, 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 it can be a part of what we're doing. Um, but on the brand side of things, I mean, it's a little tougher because when you make a TV show and it rates, they buy 100 more. When you have a brand, you know, a branded entertainment project and it rates, sometimes the brand goes, that was fun, on to the next thing. So it's, it's a totally different business. Okay. What about the future of the business? Where do you think it's going to be in 10 years' time? Oof. Um, you know, I guess, I guess putting my hand on the crystal ball, you're going to have um, these different. Well, I'll say this: a lot of people have, have, you know, are either cutting the cord or they're saying they won't have a cord. And the truth about um, that movement um, it is that people thought they were going to save money. You know, I'll save money and I'll have more choice. And what they're going to get is truly three card Monty. They're going to get less choice, and it's going to be the same amount, if not more. And so I don't know if that means Netflix exists with Amazon, with you know some with Apple, with a couple of other streaming options. But I don't think the I think the 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 problem I have, and the problem that storytellers will have, is that there's still going to be um, a lot of money being spent in the system, but it's going to go to a lot of A-list talent. And so the A-list talent is um, more than ever before, or certainly for the la- more than for the last 20 years, is the linchpin to your success as a storyteller. Hitch your ride to the right pony, and you know you can you can be you know you can win the fair. Obviously, sort of storytelling is changing as well. I mean, we've gone through the sort of the whole sort of reality uh, sort of generation of of ideas everything's been well we think everything's been mined and sort of delivered yeah um what's next we're seeing obviously a resurgence of long form and podcasts but what about the future of television do you see any sort of new emerging 
genres or directions that are maybe on the horizon that I wish I did and then I would just be really sitting pretty (laughs) (laughs) you know I can predict that next wave Um, I will say for us we're definitely getting into scripted in two years I want half of what I'm doing to be scripted and um, and so we're, we're making a concerted effort to go there each step I'm taking is bigger shows with more commerce on a backside, kind of more contingent compensation involved to these projects. I'm not saying they start out as commercials, but they should be a commercial at the end of the day for something, and I should be a part of that. Uh, On the scripted side, it's comedy, comedy, comedy. I'm um, what they call a non-writing producer, so um, I'm looking for the right projects, and and, uh, it just takes one to kind of get us into the game. Hopefully it's the one we're developing right now. Uh, but we'll see. Okay, so we have a competition for our listeners. We'd like to give away a book that uh, you would recommend people read. So anyone that can come up with the best comments or points of view in the in the comment section, we'd like to sh- uh, share three of those books. So which one? Book okay, I'm going to give recently? you. I'm actually going to give you a classic. Okay. okay. How to win friends and influence people. Yeah, indeed. I read that one when I was 23 years old, and I held it between, I think, a magazine of Nat- National Geographic on the train, just so people saw this. I'm not some sort of, you know, oh, this guy doesn't have friends. But it is a classic book. One of the things I remember from that book is, what is the most important sound anyone will ever hear? The sound of their own name. So it actually talks to you about how not to be transactional in life. Invest in people, build relationships, and uh, they have a lot of examples in that book of people who are hugely successful, and it's because they remember people's names, simple things like that, and I think in this business, it's no different. You know, people want to just be, they, they want to be recognized. And our business is, it's, it's an absolutely essential piece. Recognition for the end product, TV, film, what have you. Great, great advice. Uh, one book, just uh, have you ever read the book How to uh, Lose Friends and Alienate People? <laughs> By a British com- a comedian. If you haven't read it, read uh, it. I'm going to read it. How about you send me one? I'll send yeah, you one, send, yeah. Send it to I'll, me. I'll send, send you that. Me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay. That's funny. So just to wrap up, um, some sort of young, enterprising, hardworking, fearless uh, creatives out there that maybe can't see how they're going to achieve their sort of goals and ambitions and see the future as being somewhat impossible for them. What would you have to say to them having achieved what you've achieved over the years? I would say think about what you want to stand for. Think about what you want to be known for. You know, it's like uh, there's a if if you're if you're known for everything, everything you're known for nothing, right? And so, uh, having a personal slash professional brand, I think, is more important now than ever. And um, and I'd say that is important when I hear it from anyone who's starting in the business or at any level of the business. Um, if if they don't give me that input, then it's hard for me to give them anything back as as output. So if you tell me you want to be involved in comedy, great. What do you want to do in comedy? You know, and I will say the same thing to talent. You know, what are you going to be known for? What's your voice? What what truly is your voice? I mean, some of these comedians that I'm working with, you know, they they don't think in that sort of you know, term of what they're doing. But I, but that's the truth about anything in life. If you get to be known for something, you can have a lot of success. Um, and so I think especially in entertainment, be known 
for something. And that's very hard at an early stage to have that. But also, I don't think a lot of um, people that are in my space or at my level tell a lot of the younger generation to think like that. You know, I mean, it's just like when we have kids in high school who don't really learn money management, that would, that's much more important than accounting. You know, I think when you're going into entertainment, having somebody focus you and really think hard about where it is you would like to go will expedite everything and give you a real shot. That's great. Where can um, people find out more about you? Uh, social call, media? Or, yeah, you yeah. can go to at uh, backroadsent. That's our Twitter handle. You can okay. go to, uh, you can email me directly, colbyg at backroadsentertainment.com. And uh, love to talk. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Colby. Much appreciated. And good luck in Texas. Thank you. Giddy up. Look forward to having a beer with you sometime in Austin. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Okay, folks. That's it for this week. If you like the show, please subscribe. And ideally, give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps more people discover us. Just go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to subscribe and rate. For now, stay curious, be creative, and be open to serendipity. See you next time.